If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, time for yet another episode of Hollywood and Levine. Thank you for being here. I am Ken Levine, your podcast host. And one of the things I like to do in this podcast is introduce you to writers whose work you have known and loved for years, but you don't really know the name. Our guest is Bill Persky this week. Bill Persky, along with his partner, Sam Danoff, wrote 29 episodes of The Dick Van Dyke Show. And a number of them are classic episodes. Eventually, they went on to become the showrunners of The Dick Van Dyke Show. I mean, how unbelievable is that? Bill Persky has won five Emmys, including Emmys for writing, producing, and directing. And after his time on The Dick Van Dyke Show, he then, along with his partner Sam Denoff, created That Girl, starring Marlo Thomas. Eventually, he went on directing a lot of pilots, working on a number of shows. And remember the show Kate and Alley? It's one of those shows that uh, just seems to have fallen between the cracks, and yet it was on for years and years on CBS and won a bunch of Emmys. Anyway, he was involved in writing, producing, and directing that. It's a two-part episode, and part one, we're really going to concentrate on The Dick Van Dyke Show. Two of the episodes in particular, and these are classics. That's My Boy and Coast to Coast Big Mouth. And we'll also find out how he broke into the business. It's really interesting. There's a great story he tells about uh, at one point at 4 o'clock in the afternoon thinking they were through with Hollywood and we're going to have to go back to New York and get other jobs. And then within one phone call, their lives changed forever. So that is This Week and Next, part one, coming up right now. Bill Persky on Hollywood and Levine. So I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but I want to start with the good stuff, The Dick Van Dyke Show. You and your partner, Sam Denoff, wrote 29 episodes, but the first episode you wrote is maybe the most famous one of the series. It's called That's My Boy, and it was the one where uh, Rob Petrie uh, brought home Richie but thought there might have been a switch at the hospital, and that came from a real-life experience of yours? Yes. Uh, First of all, hello. Hello. Nice to see you. the Van Dyke show of which you are the greatest fan in the world was really based on, on the fact that Carl said it has to be something that could happen to you. 
look back at things that have happened to you. And that's what the show is going to be. And just about every show was the result of something that happened to the writer. So I was, Sam and I were, were fairly new in LA and George Shapiro hooked us up onto the Van Dyke show. We wrote a sample script, which is what you used to do back then before your time. And they would read it. Now you have to have seven agents and 12 lawyers to send a sample. (laughs) But we wrote this show and it was really bad, but the dialogue and the relationships were good. So based on that, Carl had us come in for a meeting. And the first idea we pitched was when, when I had my first child, we were living in the Hollywood Hills and we were going to go to, to Cedar Sinai. And, uh, I, I am a nervous Jew, you know, and I figured, well, what if there's traffic? I had it down pat. I knew exactly how long it took at every time. And when it finally happened at three in the morning, I knew where I was. I rode down the mountainside. I got there and stopped for gas a block from, from the hospital. <laughs> really in control. That's in a strange way. That was like the one where Dick had his clothes all lined up. Right. Yeah. With his hat. hat came down. Yeah. You know. mm-hmm. Anyway, when we were in the hospital, uh, we got somebody else's flowers and then we got somebody else's candy and there was no DNA at that point, you know? So I said to myself at the time, well, how do you know you have the right baby? Well, the minute I said that to Carl, it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and we worked we worked on the show and did it and the only thing we didn't have since there was no dna was how do you how do you resolve it that it's not there's no question that right. they how do you prove it kids. yeah so the only thing that it could be was a different ethnicity and the easy way would have been this is back in 1963 the easy way would have been to have it be an Asian couple. But I said, well, can we make it black? At which point Sheldon Leonard launched into space. He was thrilled. And so we did it with a black couple. The network, when they got the script, said impossible. The world, I know there's a lot going on with civil rights, But the world is not ready for a white couple to make fun of a black couple. And Carl said, oh, no, no, you got it all wrong. It's the black couple that are making fun of the white couple. And the guy almost passed out and said, the world will never be ready for that. And Carl said, well, it's time they should be. And he refused to do the show anymore. And he was going to go to, you know, the press. And they finally uh, let us do it. And the only backup we had, and we didn't even hire, you know, cast it any other way. We were just going for it. And uh, we had no idea what would happen. And Carl and I, you know, the camera, three camera show, and Carl and I were standing next to one another. And when Dick opened the door and the look on his face... And then 
Peters came in and there was a deadly silence, which in my mind is still there lasting till now. But after about five, it was enough time for Carl to say to me, oh, shit. (laughs) And then a laugh started that went on for 20 minutes. We could not stop it. Every time we went back to do a pickup, the minute they came in the door, it would start again. Then we would do it again, and they'd get maybe two feet into the room, and it would start again. Then we go back for a pickup, and we got as far as the first dialogue, and then it started again. And it kept, I mean, it was like incrementally they moved on into the, the show. In the long run, of course, we took out. Nine, we took out the whole laugh and just put a reasonably acceptable sure. mm-hmm. And uh, so that was a landmark because it was the first time that uh, a black actor had a role as an equal. And so that's what made it, you know, such a... And it was also one of the funniest shows ever. I mean, Dick was so brilliant in it. So and, that was your very first one. Uh, did yeah, you get and, on staff as a result of that, or did they yeah, just keep giving well, there, you more scripts? How did that work? There was no staff. Carl was doing everything. And you know how fast shows disappear. They take forever, weeks to get, and a moment till you need the next one. Mm-hmm. So he said, I can't hire you i don't have a budget to any but i'll give you an office and you can be at my side through everything and you can write as many shows as you can write and you'll help me rewriting the other stuff so that's how that's how it started and then we in the in the second season we were there we were story editors and in the last season, we actually got to produce the last half of the season because Carl was doing the Russians are coming. Mm-hmm. He was directing that. Yeah. Oh, no, he was in it. He oh, he's in, in it. Okay. Yeah, he was in it. Uh, Norman Jewison directed. We had a great relationship with everybody except for Deacon and Rosemary. Ah. Oh. Yeah. They did not ever accept us. it was like ridiculous they looked sideways at anything if we did something brilliant they wouldn't acknowledge it and uh, the interesting thing too is well I think it's I'll tell you and you tell me if it's I'll tell you if it's interesting okay Mm -hmm. we handed the script into Carl and it was like three days went by and Sam and I had an office at 8220 Sunset, where the Bullwinkle thing used to be. Yeah, the old Jay Ward yeah, studios there near we Crescent a, Heights. Yeah, we had an office that wasn't big enough for the both of us. It was <laughs> kind of a long office. So I sat in the hall and Sam typed. <laughs> Behind me was Ellis Gold's nude model porn stars. <laughs> It was just, it's the perfect office. Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, there's so many things, but there was a girl, uh, I think her name was Evelyn, and she was built, oh my God. And 
but she couldn't talk very well. So she t- had a long time before she got a part in a porn film. And <laughs> she called her mother from Ellis's office and said, Mama, I'm starring in a movie. And she said, no, no, just up to the nipples. <laughs> that was that was that office. And uh, so anyway, at simultaneously, because of Tim Conway and our relationship from the Steve Allen show, which was where we got to L.A. with, uh, and you know, and the show, Steve's show, uh, we it was Buck, Hen- Buck Henry's first television thing. Okay. Mother, this mother's brother's first appearance, and Timmy Conway's first appearance. I was, it, and uh, so at any rate, we got him. A, you know, it's so funny. I'm sure you run into the same thing. You start to talk about one thing, and then there are like eleven things that are, <laughs> that are related that may be even better. But at any rate, through Tim Conway, we had gotten uh, McHale's Navy, but. The producer of the show was a wonderful man named Cy Rosen. I don't know if you ever met him or heard of him. I've heard the name. Well, he had the misfortune of doing the Joey Bishop show as well. (laughs) But but we went to a meeting with Cy. And I I have to say, this: he was a great writer and a gentleman. But we went in for our note meeting. And there was a note on every line of a 36-page script. I mean, it would be, is there another word for almost? We started at 9.30 in the morning, and at 12.30, he wanted to go to lunch, not with us. And Sam and I went to lunch and said, well, obviously, we have to go home. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I have to go back to New York and look for a job because we don't know how to do this. And we looked at our fortune cookies to see if there were any hints. We finished the meeting at four o'clock, believe it. Oh, man. I mean, and a sweet man, not looking mm-hmm. to make trouble, you know? Right. So we left there and we went back to our office and there was a message that Carl called. So now, obviously, he had read the script. And I figured, well, we're good till midnight, at least, on this one. <laughs> and and anyway, Sam called because I was in the hallway. And uh, he said, hi, it's Sam Denoff. And, and then he just took a long time listening. And I said, what, 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 what? And he said, Carl said it's the best script he's ever received. He wants us to do as many shows. So in the morning, we were finished. Wow, that's a great story. In the afternoon, the rest of our lives opened up. Wow. Yeah, it was, it was, but that's the way it, I don't know, haven't been doing it lately, but that's the way it was. You know, no one was really quite sure of what they were doing then. You know, people were kind of inventing it. I mean, our first spec script was the Mary Tyler Moore show, right. which was rejected by Mary Tyler Moore people. Right. And um, and the Jeffersons loved it. Uh-huh. And we got our first assignment on the Jeffersons uh-huh. 
based on our Mary Tyler Moore show. One of the other episodes that you did that is one of my favorites and is also an episode that is pretty iconic is Coast to Coast Big Mouth. Could you talk a little bit about that one? Well, I guess really what's interesting is That's My Boy was the first show we did, and Coast to Coast Big Mouth was the last show we did. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, it was really about Mary, how good she was at sup-supping, you know, you know, not wanting mm-hmm. to cry and how fragile she approached things and how bombastic Carl was, you know, Alan. Right. So we figured, what can we do to bring them together? And so we came up with that she revealed, and there had been a lot of talk with Carl about whether he was going to keep wearing his dupes or not as as, uh-huh. as Carl. Right. So taking that, we just said, okay, she reveals that he has a toupee and the world falls apart. The last scene, which is in two textbooks on comedy writing. Yes. And it is just a classic and it came just completely out of who these people were. Alan Brady and Mary, you know, and Laura Petrie, mm-hmm. and putting them in a position where she was in trouble with him. And that scene could have gone on for three days. Well, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned that scene, and, and there's one book that has the entire script. Oh, really? Yep. And when I was starting out and I was writing spec scripts, I was in a bookstore in Westwood. And I came upon this book and I read the script and it was, it was published in script form. Yeah. And I thought to myself, oh my God, this is genius. I hope one day to ever have a script of mine be in a book. Yeah. And a few years ago, they put out a book of like the 10 best Frasier scripts. Uh-huh. And one of our scripts was included to me, that was a huge milestone because oh, I think back to your script and what that meant to me, what a yardstick that episode was. Yeah. I'm going to ask about two more writers who were on the show, Gary, who you worked with. Gary and uh, Gary Marshall and Jerry yeah, Belson. Yeah, we had we had a couple of teams that were really great. It was them and uh, Klein Schmidt McRaven, who did a number of Van Dyke shows. Sure. And uh, so they were on staff uh, on on uh, Joey, and we were on the same lot. That lot, uh, Desi Lukawenga, we had five stages and five of the top ten shows in America every year. It was Danny. It was I Spy, the Van Dyke Show. Later, it was Marlowe. I mean, there were always... Oh, and Andy Griffith, of course. And then Gomer Pyle, of course. It was such a great time. But anyway, Belson and Marshall were just... Well, Gary, I don't know how you... Do you know Gary? I do know Gary. I did did know Gary. I knew them both, actually. I I worked with them both. One of the dearest, gentlest... I mean, he was and hysterically funny. Belson was a little more dark, 
than, than, <laughs> yes. than Harry was. I mean, but the two of them together were were really were really wonderful, and they wrote some of the best Van Dykes ever. Would you guys do a lot of rewriting of those scripts? You did thirty nine a year. Yeah, can you imagine that? Oh my God! And the thirteen weeks in between was spent having me. There was no layoff ever. Right. And did you work late nights? Were you there till two in the morning every night? Well, strangely. Carl and Sam and I on this, would stay on the stage with the cast, with Dick. During the day? Uh, well, no, after the run-through. Oh, okay. And we would do it in like an hour. Never, ever spent those kind of, that kind of time. And on Kate and Allie, Jane Curtin always says it was the best job in the world. She came in at nine and went home at five, except for the day that we shot and came in the next day. And the script had barely changed because I was the head writer, producer and director with Bob uh, Randall. Did you ever work with Bob? No, I didn't. Oh, what a sweetheart. What a sweetheart. Anyway, I mean, a perfect example of of. I think a lot of times all that late night crap was about not wanting to go home. What you learned with Carl was at a certain point, you're not making it better. You're making it different. And that you have to respect the cast that screw your perfection. They need time to learn it. So there were very few changes. The closer we got, you know, like, between the dress and the air, there was almost nothing. And there weren't a lot of rewrites because when we had the first reading, it, it was in addition to the show that we were doing that week, as I guess everybody did. So you would read ahead. You would read, we would read a script like next week's script. Right. And we would have notes on that. And then we would sit for four hours fixing the script that we were doing. Mm -hmm. which we had already read the week before and had fixed it. Right. So it was incremental things. And there was never a time where it didn't work. I mean, because it just, the people were too good. You know, the cast never complained, except for Rosemary, who actually in the beginning thought she was the star and Mary was a co-star, which Carl had to handle a lot. And one of the longest arguments or difficulties or I'm going to my room moments was the show where Mary got her toe caught in the faucet mm -hmm. at their, their anniversary celebration. Right, right. They go off to yeah. a, a luxury hotel. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, she's taking a bath and her toe gets caught in the faucet as she's kind of screwing around with it. And the door was locked. So at no point in the show did you see Mary in the bathtub. And as the week went on, she started to get annoyed. And she was one of the few times I've ever seen her petulant. And uh, finally Carl says, what is it? What? She said, I'm not even in the show. I, uh, all you hear is my voice and, you know, Mary. 
there is not a man in America who is not riveted on the image of you naked in that bathtub. You are more in that show than Dick is. <laughs> and she oh, I guess. There was one thing, you know, you talk about Van Dyke, his inventiveness. He couldn't really write everything he did. You know, what you learn to do is to put him in a place where something that he would think of would work better. I mean, no one can take credit for a Dick Van Dyke performance. And in that show, he tried to break down the door, if you remember. Mm-hmm. And he and he was dressed in in a smoking jacket and a scarf. I mean, it was just and he ran and he crashed into the door with his left shoulder and fell to the floor and in pain and everything. And then he said, "Okay, give me a minute." And then he ran at the door again and in midair shifted his body so that he hit the door with his right shoulder. <laughs> Could you write that? I No, I no. And someone said that he would come in on the weekends and work on the timing of some of his physical Yeah, bits. I guess. Yeah, that was more, I think, in his second show, the one from... You know, this Dick Van, it's the, the, the new Dick Van Dyke. Ah. Then there was another thing. It was in Coast to Coast Big Mouth. It's one of the most brilliant moments. And it's as he was telling her it was all going to be all right. Oh, honey, she said, I just, hey, what am I here for? And he was leaning over the counter on the stove. And she said, I just thought, no, 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 honey, it's going to be fine. And she said, oh, you are so wonderful. He said, that's what I'm here for. And then when he stood up, he was holding two of the grates from the stove that he was. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's just unbelievable. Why did they want the show to end? Because Carl felt they had done it and there was no need to keep doing it. And that uh, Carl was starting to get a, a movie career. And Mary was aching to start her movie career. And Dick also had a movie career. So they had done it. It had served all that it could. And they just felt they couldn't improve on what they'd done. And why even try? And they were offered millions to keep going, you know. And I think there was never a point where it stopped being what it was. Yeah, and it's it's beloved to yeah, this day. And, and the stuff just still works. One of the things Carl said, never use a topical word, you know, a, 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 a cliche of the time. Never give it anything except for things you can't take control of, like cell phones and stuff, but never make it that it isn't timeless. Don't use jargon. Yeah, very smart. Don't use jargon, you know, just be people. I would go to a party in L.A., and I would literally just sit there waiting for someone to ask me what I did. And when I said I write the Dick Van Dyke show, everything, it was like the E.F. Hutton commercial from the past. Everybody froze, (laughs) and then the rest of the night it was me. 
So when you and your partner, Sam, wrote scripts, because each partnership is different, yeah. did you work together in the same room? Yeah. Did you oh. split up scenes? How did you guys Except work? Except for when I was in the hall, we worked in the same room. <laughs> but he typed and I pitched. We never wrote a scene separately, I don't think. Well, a few years ago, readers of my blog know that as a, as a fun experiment, I wrote a spec episode of the Dick Van Dyke and Show. a good one. Thank you. And the idea was to send it to you and send it to Carl and, and yeah. get notes. You're very complimentary. And what I loved is I spoke to you on the phone. We started talking about it, and I started asking you questions. Well, how would you guys do this scene? And I talked about story issues that I came across and you kind of work them through. And we were having this story conference because it was like in the present Uh tense where you were going, okay, well, Laura would come in and Laura would say this. And then, you know, I, I think Dick would do that. And then, you know, Buddy and Sally and, you know, and as I was listening to you on the phone, I was thinking to myself, oh, my God, this is this is like an actual yeah, story well, conference. I'm getting notes on a Dick Van Dyke well, show. I figured you took the time to write it and you, you were <laughs> such a fan. You know, so it's so strange. I'm 88 and uh, I just feel like I'm talking to a contemporary you know, the year's difference to me, except that you can get up and walk from there and I have a little more difficulty. But it's so interesting that in the realm of having been part of this and you being part of this, it's a, there is a timelessness between us. I mean, the good writers. I don't know. I haven't talked to the bad ones, but there is a there is no time frame. Funny, like Carl used to say, funny is funny. There you go. That is part one with Bill Persky. Now, next week, we're going to talk about his uh, move into directing, also what it was like to be a showrunner, some Hollywood stories. You know, those uh, stories are always fascinating, including one in which he worked with Orson Welles. Yeah, you are going to want to come back and hear that. Also, he'll be talking a little bit about pilots. So that's next week. And our thanks for this week and always to Adam and Susie Meister Butler, to Howard Hoffman, John Wolford, Bruce and Jason Miller. You can find me on Twitter at Ken Levine, also on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. And if you want to write me, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com is my email address, HollywoodLevine at Outlook.com. Part two with Bill Persky coming up next week. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe. Hollywood and Levine.